Well, good morning. Are you all awake? <laughs> so, um, before we get started on this sermon, let's go back two weeks where we talked about Thanksgiving and praise. How's your griping and complaining level? Is it lower? Is your Thanksgiving level higher? How you doing? <laughs> and I just want to say, last week's sermon was amazing. Anne may not have reverend in front of her name, but as far as I'm concerned, she has the anointing of a pastor, and she pastored us last week. She gave us all kinds of vision for how the Holy Spirit can move so that when he does, we aren't surprised and we don't become Pharisees. Amen? (laughs) So good job. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about forgiveness. How many of you have heard multiple sermons on forgiveness? Yes. I would expect nothing less in this church. The challenge is that you can go, I already know this. How many of you like steak? I have had countless steaks, and I'm looking forward to the next one. (laughs) Sometimes someone finds a rub that they put on them, or there's a new... I found horseradish cream sauce a few years ago. (laughs) That makes a steak even more amazing. So let's trust that the Holy Spirit's going to put some sauce on this that will... uh, Keep you awake and maybe speak something to your heart. Let's ask him to do that. Can we we just put your hands on your head? (laughs) Lord, we put our hands on our heads. We ask you to help us open our minds. That you would give us understanding. That you would help us to see like you see. Lord, we put our hands on our hearts. We ask that you would touch our hearts and that you would help us, that you would give us grace to put your word into practice. Lord, we don't want to be like those who hear it and go away without doing anything about it. We want to be those who are hearers and doers of your word. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So. So we're going to read from Matthew 18 here in just a couple of minutes. We'll start in verse 21 and we'll put it on the slide. There we go. Thank you. Um, But let me give you just a little bit of context, what Jesus was talking about before we get to the passage that we're going to read. Jesus was talking to his men and telling them how to handle disagreements and offenses. Okay. So he says, someone sins against you, go and talk to them. He doesn't say, go tell your best friend and talk it over with your friend so that you can get affirmation that that person is really an idiot and a jerk. Right? That's not what he said. He said, go and talk to that person. Right? And if, you, if they hear you, then you've won your brother. And if that doesn't work, then get two or three other people to go with you, to be witnesses. And the point of The idea is not get a couple of your best friends so you can gang up on this person and bludgeon them with your words into submission and agreeing with your point of view. That's not the point. The point is reconciliation, right? The point is you have witnesses there so that if they see that the other guy was right and you're the idiot, they can speak up. Because again, the point is reconciliation, not proving that we're right. And you can say amen or oh me, whichever whichever fits, all right? Uh, If that doesn't work, then you're supposed to take it to the church and, and work it out in the context of the church. So, can you read this with me? Here we go. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, I love Peter. And I think Peter thought he was really going to 
do something that Jesus would be excited about. The rabbis of Jesus' day taught that you forgive three times. Okay? So Peter has taken the rabbinical teaching, doubled it, added one. Seven is the number of completeness, right? And so he's like, Lord, how often should I forgive? Seven times? And he's expecting that Jesus is going, wow, Peter, that's a, that's a great revelation. You're doing so good. I'm so proud of you. That's what he's expecting. Jesus goes, no, 70 times 7. Peter's freaked out. So Jesus continues. He says, read it with me, would you? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now, the King James Version says that the man owed 10,000 talents. We have no clue what that means. And this translation of millions of dollars does not do it justice. Here's the deal. The, the annual income of the province that included Idumea, Samaria, and Judea was 600 talents. The income of Galilee was 300 talents. This guy owed 10,000 talents. You get the idea? He's saying, well, we'll read what he says in a minute. But I want you to get the idea. This is an unpayable debt. Ready? Here we go. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Stop just for a second. He's lying through his teeth. There is no way that he's going to be able to pay this debt back. He's just, ah, I'm about to be sold as a slave along with my wife and my kids and everything that I own. Please have mercy. He's lying. He cannot pay it back. Verse 27. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. The debt that he was owed was about one five hundred thousandth of what he had been forgiven. Does that put things in perspective just a little bit? And what does he do? He grabs the guy by the throat. Pay me what you owe me. Now I want to show you something else here before we read the next verses. What did the king do? He had pity and he canceled the debt. Okay? That's the best definition of forgiveness that I know. When someone hurts us, there's a deal. It's like, you owe me, right? You owe me. You hurt me. You owe me. And when we forgive, we cancel that debt. All right? Verse 29. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his predator wouldn't... I said predator. I meant that. I meant that. It was a, his creditor. His creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested 
and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Can I just make this observation? Unforgiveness makes you stupid. How is this guy going to get the money to pay the debt when he's in prison? If he wants the debt paid, he needs to give the guy extra food so that he can work harder to get it paid. Not throw him in jail. Unforgiveness makes you stupid. You ready? Here we go. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Yikes! Did you catch that? He sent him to prison to be tortured. And the last part of that verse, that's what your heavenly Father will do to you unless you forgive. Your loving heavenly Father. Is that what the Bible says? Come on now, folks. You're people of the Word. Is that what the Bible says? Yes. Yes. We will be tortured if we harbor unforgiveness. I cannot tell you how many, well, let's just look at stress and how many diseases are caused by stress and how much stress is caused by unforgiveness. That's just one aspect of the whole torture theme here. Now, obviously, the picture is God is the king, and we have the choice of what kind of servants that we're going to be. We forgive because we've been forgiven. I put the fireworks up there just so that you would see this, all right? We forgive because we've been forgiven. Now, let me just tell you a little bit. of here, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story um, in, a, in, a, in just a couple of minutes. And then some things that I've learned about how you forgive. And then we'll be done. One of the problems I think that we have in the modern church today is that I'm just going to be blunt and say it in an unkind way. I think in many churches there is another gospel being preached. It's a gospel that says, you don't want to go to hell. God loves you. Come to Jesus. He has a wonderful plan for your life. And you receive him as your savior. And then someplace down the road, when you get to know him a little bit better, then maybe you should receive him as your Lord. But, but you don't have to do that. You just need to get saved so that... Uh, you don't go to hell when you die. You need to get forgiven of your sins. Does that make sense? Have you heard that sort of a sermon preached? Okay. Here's the problem with that theology. Read this with me, will you? Romans 10.9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, let me, let me show you the progression here. 
What's taught in most of our churches is receive him as Savior and eventually make him Lord. What's the progression here? It's not that. Make him Lord and you'll be saved. Do I need to say it again or did you get it? Say <laughs> There's an honest man. In many of our churches, we're taught you come to Jesus and receive him as your Savior. Receive him into your heart and let him forgive you of your sins. And then down the road, someplace, maybe someday, you'll be spiritual enough to make him the Lord of your life and really submit yourself to him and do whatever he tells you. But that's not the message of Scripture. Here it is. Make him Lord of your life and then you'll be saved. If Scripture is true and people have been operating on a false gospel, I think that there are a lot of people in a lot of churches who think they're going to heaven who really aren't. I grew up in a church that had an altar call every service. And the preachers were really good at... This was more of an Arminian sort of... Do you know what that means? Okay. Uh, The idea, uh, what we were taught... Nobody said it this way. But what I got was... You need to come down to the altar and pray and get saved. And then you go out... And you screw up and you mess up and you sin and all that sort of stuff. You lose your salvation and you, if Jesus comes or you die, you're going to hell. So you better get down here this week and get saved again. I was saved hundreds of times. Do you know, that's bad theology. I never had a sense of assurance that I had been forgiven. Because I did not want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I was afraid that if I really gave him my life, he would make me be a missionary in Africa. And I had this picture of me in a pith helmet, in khakis, a machete in hand, hacking trails through the jungle to preach to some native with a bone in his nose. And that just was not my idea of a good time. I did not want to do that. And so I would not, I wanted to be saved. I didn't want to go to hell. But neither did I want to let Jesus be Lord of my life. So we went to a different church. And in this church, I had a Sunday school teacher who had been through some very difficult things. And somehow in the process of all that, she had come to experience the love of God. And so every week, no matter what the the Sunday school lesson was about, she would find a way to tell us, God loves you. He knows all about you and he loves you anyway. (laughs) He knows all your secrets. This was the one that got me. He knows the things you would do if you thought you could get away with it. And he loves you anyway. Well, after a while, that kind of got through my thick skull. And I realized if God loved me like that, I could trust him with my life. If he loved me like that and he wanted me to be a missionary in Africa, then that's what he created me to be. And I would never be really fulfilled until I was in Africa, machete and all. And so I knelt down beside my bed in the back bedroom of 2749 West Roma Avenue in Phoenix, Arizona, and I prayed a prayer that went something like this. Okay, God, you call the shots. Anything goes. I'll go any place. I'll say anything. I'll do anything you want. You just have to let me know for sure that it's you. And I will tell you that that day my life changed. I began to experience a peace that I had never experienced before. All of a sudden... The preacher could preach the hell out of the place. And it I had assurance that I was saved. I didn't care what he said. 
I knew. Do you understand? I knew I had that kind of assurance. I have been forgiven. And it's out of that place, because we have been forgiven, that we are called to forgive the people that offend and hurt and sin against us. Does that make sense? If you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, that's the number one priority of your life right now. That's the most important thing you can do. And I will tell you again the same thing that my Sunday school teacher told me. He loves you with an everlasting, unquenchable, without exception, not based on your behavior or your goodness. That It's a love that flows out of who he is. And he's trustworthy. You can trust Him. You can give Him your life. You can sign a blank check with your life because He loves you. That would be a good place to say amen, right? (laughs) I'll give you clues from time. You know, it's a little hint. So, so you know, it's easy. A hot day like this, it's easy to miss your opportunities. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to give you one other scripture and then we'll tell you some more. Look at this. And don't sin, come on, with me, you have to read with me, all right? And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now I want us to stop and think about that for a minute. Anger gives a foothold to the devil. I'm going to say this in another way that you're not going to like, but it's true. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger opens your life to demonization. Pastor Lonnie, are you saying a Christian can have a demon? I heard a preacher say one time, a Christian can have anything he wants. And if we open our... It's too bad the King James Version uses the words demon-possessed. Because there's nothing in the Greek that indicates possession. The Greek word is daimonizomai. And it's better... The meaning of it really is to be influenced, to be under the influence, not the control, not the ownership, but under the influence of a demon. So when we hold on to anger and bitterness and resentment, we are opening our lives to the influence of the demonic. You can say, oh me, here. That's... Yeah, oh me. All right. So let me tell you a little bit about my story. And I, I really wrestled over this. I don't know that I've ever told this publicly. I've shared it with friends. I don't know that I've ever shared this publicly. And my concern is I don't want to dishonor people who, who are honorable people, who were godly people, but who had real issues in their lives. Does that make sense? Okay. So, my wife and I both graduated from Oral Roberts University. Um, I met her uh, the spring of my junior year. We got engaged uh, the beginning of our senior year. We got married on graduation day. We had baccalaureate in the morning, commencement in the afternoon. We got married that night. It was a life-changing day. Um, after I graduated from ORU, I served there for a year as the assistant chaplain for the university. And the chaplain of the university talked to me one day. He said, Lonnie, whatever you do, don't go work with your father-in-law. Now, my father-in-law was here in Grand Rapids. He really was one of the fathers of the charismatic movement here in this area. He was the president of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship. Um, He had ministry coming in all the time, Bible studies in his home. This was a man that loved God. Um, When 
when, it, when there were so many Bible studies that it was sort of interfering with the life and the home, he sold his house, moved into a rental, took the proceeds from the sale of his house, and bought property that had an old abandoned farmhouse on it. Uh, this farmhouse, some vandals had got in, set it on fire, the roof caved in, smothered the flames. He rebuilt that as a meeting place for believers. He called it Faith Teaching Mission. Now the campus chaplain says, whatever you do, don't go work with your father-in-law. He said, he comes across as really a strong guy, but the reality is he's a weak man and your mother-in-law is the strength in that home. So after serving a year at ORU, I got a call to go back to Phoenix to my home church and I was an assistant pastor in my home church there in Phoenix for about a year and a half. So that fall of 1976, we got a phone call from my father-in-law and he says, Lonnie, we've got these Bible studies going here in Grand Rapids and we believe that God wants this to become a church. But I'm not a pastor. You're a pastor. Would you come and plant a church? And I hear Bob Stant's words ringing in my head. Whatever you do, don't go work with your father-in-law. But here's this invitation. So we're praying. We're fasting. We're asking the Lord what to do. Diane and I flew to Grand Rapids. And I met, we met with the, the board of the foundation that he had started. And I said, hey, I'm concerned that when I get here, I really won't be free to do what I think needs to be done. And their response was, you will be so free, you won't know what to do first. And I literally went around the room to each one of them. And each one of them echoed that sentiment. So we prayed some more, fasted. Finally, okay, we'll go. And when we made that decision, we had peace. We sold our house within a week, loaded a truck, started for Grand Rapids. And watch this. A storm followed us across the country that literally closed the roads behind us. <laughs> We're driving on dry pavement. They're closing the roads behind. Do you think that's a spiritual sign? You can't go back, right? So... So we get to Grand Rapids, we start the work of the ministry. I'm uh, the church, the, the Bible studies, there wasn't enough money there to pay me. So I worked, I drove a forklift, I hung drywall, I did whatever needed to be done to feed my family while we're starting this ministry. We're here a month, two months, something like that. My father-in-law comes to me and says, you don't know what you're doing. Sit down and shut up. I'll show you how to do this. And I'm like, if you knew how to do this, why did you bring me up here? And we went to talk to the board. And the board said, we would never give someone as young as you that kind of authority. Well, then why did you bring me up here? Now, remember, these are the people I've gone one by one. Oh, you'll be so free. You won't know what to do first. Oh, no, we would never give someone as young as you that kind of responsibility. We brought you up here to minister to the children. Minister to the youth. There weren't any children or youth. My father-in-law had gotten into fights with so many people that there were some Sundays where it was him and my mother-in-law and me and Diane. So I'm like, God, get me out of here. I'll sell used cars. I'll, I'll do anything. Just get me out of here. I don't, want any, I don't want my name to be associated with this. Because my father-in-law, as much as he loved God, he had some strange ideas. He had, um, well, the whole idea of deliverance had been restored to the church in that time period. And so as far as he was concerned, everything was a demon. Now, it's good if you cast out a demon when there's really a demon there. If there's not a demon there and you're casting it out, you're not going to have a lot of success, right? Here was one of his favorite doctrines. 
When you become a new, when you're a new believer, you have a sheep nature. And so you need a shepherd as a new believer. But then comes the time when you get weaned spiritually and you can hear the voice of the Lord for yourself. And then you don't need a pastor because you can hear the voice of the Lord for yourself. Does that sound scriptural? Yeah, not so much. And so I'm like, God, get me out of here. I don't want anything to do with this. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me. Now, listen to me. I know that what I'm telling you is nothing compared to some of the situations that some of you have been through. This is not a contest. (laughs) Um, I'm just sharing you. That was traumatizing for me. Get me out of here, Lord. And I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You can leave if you want to, but I want you to stay. If you leave, who will I have in this situation? Okay. I told you I'd go any place and say anything. If you want me here, I'm here. And then he goes, but you can't touch him. And he gave me the story of Saul and David. The anointing had lifted off of Saul. David had been anointed as king. But David couldn't touch Saul. Those were the four most difficult years of my life. I remember one Sunday morning, I'd led worship. I went and sat down in a chair on the front row. And unbeknownst to me, I wouldn't pay any attention, that was the chair he had been sitting in. And he saw me sitting in his chair as some sort of a usurpation of his authority. And so he yells at me, get out of my chair! And I'm like, It was that sort of thing again and again and again. And if I got an attitude or if I said or did something wrong, the Holy Spirit would turn the screws and I would have to go and ask his forgiveness. I I remember saying, Lord, this isn't fair. You make me go ask forgiveness. Look at all the things he's done to me. Never once has he come and asked my forgiveness. And the Lord was like, I know. I know. So what did I learn? Oh, well, okay, let me. After four years, the Lord said, okay, you're free. You can go. So I gave him my notice. I'm giving you two weeks notice. I'm done. We've tried for four years to do this. We both want the same end, but our means of getting there is totally different. It hasn't worked for four years. It's never going to work. I'll stay as long as you need me to, but I'm done. Well, let me pray about it. You can pray all you want. I'm done. He comes back the next day and he goes, okay, the Holy Spirit shows me that the elder makes room for the younger. So I will step back for six months. I won't even come to the church for six months. You'll have all the authority there. You can do whatever you want. And at the end of six months, if things are going well, then I'll turn it over to you completely. Well, that was why we came up here. I'll do that. So we did that. About two and a half months in, he shows up in church one Sunday morning. After service, he goes, well, this is going really well. Now we have to see how we can work together on this thing. I said, that's not what you said. You said if it went well at the end of six months, you'd turn it over to me. Oh, I never said that. I could have killed him and told God he died. I was so angry because I had no witnesses. Long series of circumstances where God intervened and helped us. (laughs) And he moved to Pentwater and we planted new life. I'll tell you the end of the story at the end of the sermon because there is a redemptive end to that, okay? What did I learn? Let me give you several things, all right? First of all, I learned, I put this in fire (laughs) because I wanted you to get it. Forgiveness is a command. It is not an option. If it were an option, I would have opted out. 
<laughs> okay? But it's a command. Now, here's the good news. God always gives us grace to obey his commands. I've had people say, oh, I just can't forgive him. And you know what? I, I, I mean, I usually don't say it like this, but the truth of the matter is, liar. You can forgive him. You just choose not to because you're still hurt and you're angry. But it's not an option. It's a command. And God always gives us grace to obey his commands. Amen? (laughs) Here's a next thing I learned. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a choice. If you are waiting until you feel forgiveness, you will have a long gray beard. I have never once felt like forgiving somebody. You feel like making certain that they hurt the way you hurt, right? So you can't wait for your emotions. And if you're like, well, I'm not going to forgive somebody if I don't feel it, then you're an idiot. You cannot let your emotions determine your life. You have to make choices. Your emotions follow your thoughts. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit because that's a real key. If you let your emotions control you, you'll never forgive. It's not an emotion. It's a choice that we make. There it is. Emotions follow our thoughts. Now, don't forget the spiritual warfare component of this. All right? One Sunday morning, I was in the bathroom shaving in the middle of all this mess, right? And I would just get him all forgiven and he would do something else, right? And, and it would not only be that offense, but all the other offense that I'd already forgiven that, that's brought up again, right? And so I'm, I'm in the bathroom, I'm shaving, and, and all these thoughts are coming into my mind. All the things that he's done, all the things that he said, all the destructive things that he's done to other people. Ah, and, and I had been meditating on 2 Corinthians 10, that passage on spiritual warfare. There's a verse in there that says, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I'm like, Lord, I'm doing my best to control my thoughts and I just can't get them. They're just, I I don't know what to do. And I hear that still small voice. Listen, they're not your thoughts. All of a sudden I realized that's the enemy. And I just said it out loud. Shut up! In Jesus' name! And there's a... I'm not not kidding. I know this sounds weird. But there was a sound like a toilet flushing. And it was quiet in my mind. Spiritual warfare is a very real part of this whole thing. I really probably shouldn't tell you this, but it's too funny not to, all right? It's a Pentecostal preacher who's preaching on that passage in Ephesians about the armor of God. And he's getting all anointed, right? And, and he comes to the part where it says, take up the shield of faith. And he goes, and uh, take up uh, the shield uh, of faith uh, with which uh, you'll be able to quench uh, all. Everybody say, all. All. You'll be able to quench uh, all the diary farts of the devil. You'll never be able to read that passage the same way. (laughs) I was experiencing the diary parts of the devil. My head was stinking. But when I rebuked him, he had to leave. And I had peace. Spiritual warfare is a very real part of this whole thing. Here's the thing. It's often a process. I would get him forgiven, and then I'd start thinking about what he'd done. And I'd get mad all over again. Did that mean I hadn't forgiven him? No. It just means that forgiveness is a process. And so I would have to reaffirm, nope, 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 I forgave him. I forgave him. 
Now, I, I want you to catch this. Forgiveness is released by our words, just like love is. How does somebody know you love them? Well, one way is because you say, I love you, right? It releases love, blessings, faith. Forgiveness is released by our words. Here's a prayer that I use. Father, in Jesus' name, because you have forgiven me as an act of my will, I choose to forgive my father-in-law, you, you insert whoever you're working on, for whatever it is that they've done. I'd pray that. Okay, they're forgiven. And then I'd start thinking about it. And I'd get mad all over again. Jesus said 70 times 7, right? 490 times. If you do the math, 490 times in a day is about every three minutes. Now, it's not that they have sinned against us every three minutes, although sometimes it feels that way. It is, though, that we, if we think about it every three minutes, then we have to reaffirm that forgiveness and keep that process of forgiving rolling. We keep it rolling until the wound that's in our heart is healed. And we can think about these things and they don't hurt anymore. Does that, Jesus said he came to heal the brokenhearted. And when we're healed, we can talk about the person that wounded us and it doesn't hurt anymore. Now I would say this, the more specific you are in in your forgiveness, the greater release that you're going to have. It really doesn't work to pray something like, oh God, I just forgive everybody that's ever hurt me in Jesus' name. Yeah, that's not that effective a prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit and get like a legal size pad. (laughs) And as he brings situations to mind, write them down and pray through them. The more specific you are, the greater the release. Now, let me say one other thing here that while we're talking about this, forgiveness is not synonymous with trust. Boundaries may be necessary. Does that make sense? Do you think the king lent that evil servant more money after he forgave him? No. Why? Because he wasn't trustworthy. And if you trust an untrustworthy... Boy, say that three times real fast. If you trust an untrustworthy person, what's going to happen? You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be hurt again. So it's not wrong to set up boundaries in your relationships with untrustworthy people. Now, you may find that they grow. And they come to be trustworthy. And then you can begin to extend trust to them. Now, here's here's the next step. Are you ready for the next step? God is probably going to ask you to bless them. Jesus said this. Read it with me. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. One prayer that I prayed that was very helpful. Lord, help me see him the way you see him. I prayed that prayer. And within a week, I had several people talking to me about his childhood. So I began to understand why he responded the way he... I didn't make it okay, but it helped me understand. Let me tell you the end of the story, then I want to ask you three questions. They were in Pentwater, a number of years. We get a phone call, 7 o'clock one morning. 
Diane's mom is on the phone. She goes, Dad's been in pain since 5 o'clock this morning. What should we do? Now, see, part of their bad theology was that doctors, going to a doctor was like going to a fortune teller or going to a diviner of some kind. They misinterpreted the symbol of medicine that has the snake on the pole. That's actually out of the book of Exodus. And if the snake's on the pole, it's dead. So they misinterpreted that to to say that doctors are evil. What should we do? Go to the doctor. They rushed him to the hospital in Ludington. He had an aneurysm on his aorta that had burst right where it splits to go down into his legs. He was a man of great faith because he should have bled out in two minutes. And it was several hours before they even got him to the hospital. They did nine hours worth of surgery and the doctor said he's got less than 20% chance to live. Named all the things that could kill him. I'm sitting there in this hospital room with one of his friends, one of those board members. And she says, Lonnie... If you don't pray, he's going to die. So I knelt down to pray. And I'm, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, how do I pray? Do you remember the story of Nadab and Abihu from the Old Testament? These were Aaron's sons. And they intruded into the priestly office. The fire of God came and killed them. This man has been intruding into the office of pastor for decades And I'm like, Lord, I don't know. Is this your judgment on him? I don't want to pray against you. And I hear the voice of the Spirit. Listen to this. Is this just just like Jesus? You can always ask for mercy. I knelt down. I cried out for mercy. He walked out of the hospital in 10 days. Less than 10 days. And his friend who was there with me told him Lonnie Shields prayed the prayer of faith that saved your life that goes a long ways towards healing a relationship when he contracted leukemia and realized that he was going to pass he named me as his he gave me the durable power of attorney to sell his house Take care of my mother-in-law. Do you see? God redeems even the most horrific situations. He's amazing. So here's the three questions. Whoops. Now I want you to notice my proper English there. Whom do you need to forgive? You might want to just take some time, get quiet, have a pad of paper and a pen and ask the Holy Spirit, is there somebody that I need to forgive? And you may be surprised to have situations that came up 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years, for some of us, 80 years ago, things that were done to us and we didn't know how to process it, so we just shoved it down. And the Holy Spirit can bring those things back up so that we can forgive things that were done to us a long time ago. Here's another thing. Sometimes we take up offenses for other people. Something was done, it wasn't done to us, but it was done to somebody that we love. I tell you, I have to forgive Diane's doctors on a regular basis. <laughs> they're not hurting me, but they're hurting somebody that I love. And I've got a two-by-four that I'd like to minister to them with. And so I have to forgive them. And I have to keep that process going. Because it's an, do you understand? It's an ongoing thing. So it's not just who's offended you, but who's offended people that you love. This is is an interesting one. Do you need to forgive God? When I say this, I'm not saying that God has done something wrong. Because he's perfect. He doesn't do things wrong. But if we have blamed him for things that he didn't do, we may need to cancel that debt. Many years ago, when I first moved to Grand Rapids, I went to a funeral of a baby 
And the pastor stood up there and said, God needed another flower in his heavenly garden. And so he reached down and plucked this little one. I counted a great spiritual victory that I did not go up there and punch him out. Because he is maligning the character of God. God does not kill babies. But if you've been in churches that have that kind of theology, maybe you need to cancel that debt. Another way to say is maybe you need to repent of having blamed God for things that he was not the author of. Here's the last one. Do you need to forgive yourself? I, I've talked to a number of people who hold things against themselves. They do something wrong and they beat themselves up with that for months, if not years. The scripture says if you have anything against anyone, that includes yourself. I've talked to some of these people and they say, oh, if I were to forgive myself, then I'm afraid that I'd just do it again. I have to make myself feel guilty so that I don't, so that it's so painful I won't do that again. How's that working for you? If that worked, there would have been no reason for Jesus to die on the cross because we could just guilt ourselves into good behavior. doesn't work. And look at it this way. Has God forgiven you? Have you confessed that and received forgiveness from God? Then if God has forgiven you and you are holding it against yourself, you are making yourself higher than God. Yeah, that's not a good place to be. You need to let go of that. You need to forgive yourself. When God forgives you, You need to forgive yourself. Well, then I'll just do it again. No, you won't. You'll receive grace. You receive forgiveness. You receive grace. It's not your strength that keeps you from sinning. It's the grace of God, right? Yeah. So whom do you need to forgive? Do you need to forgive God? Do you need to forgive yourself? Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. You sent your son to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And Lord, we do not want to be like that evil servant that refused to forgive those who owed him. We want, Lord, to be like you, for we have mercy and we extend grace and we forgive those who have offended us. We know we can't do that in our own strength, Lord. And so we call upon you and we, we offer you again, Lord, our lives. We're yours. We're going to do what you tell us to do. You tell us to forgive. Lord, we're going to forgive. We thank you for giving us the grace and the strength and the wisdom and the patience to do what you tell us in Jesus' name. Amen.